0: Alright everyone, let's get this party started. So, um, in case you aren't familiar, uh, The Moth is a live storytelling tradition um, that if uh, you enjoy the experience that we have today, you can check out on NPR after church. It's usually playing uh, when we leave. Um, And it takes place um, in small little theaters kind of around the country. And it's just a sense of community building. It started, um, it was inspired by stories told uh, on an open porch late at night um, by folks around the neighborhood. So we're gonna do a similar thing. There's only one, well, two rules, okay? The first is we've got a time limit. So try to keep it to about five minutes. I'm sitting down here in the front. Uh, I'm gonna raise up a one like this when you have one limit, one minute left. And then at five minutes, I'm gonna wave at you like that. Um, it's generally not a problem, but uh, I'll try to be friendly about it. <clears throat> uh, the, the second thing is, uh, th- and this involves everybody, um, is that whenever I read out a name, we're going to give everybody a really warm welcome. And when everyone is done with their story, we're going to thank them just as warmly, right? Um, because we're just this lovely, wonderful, warm, inviting, loving community. And we're just going to show that uh, love and support to everyone who has brave enough and generous enough to share a story with us today. Great. Pardon me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right here. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So, first up, Lauren Haas. Welcome to the yeah. stage. Coming all the way from the back of the room doing double duty today as a story sharer and head of security, Mr. Lauren Haas, everybody. I'm gonna keep talking because it's a long walk.
1: Thanks for sharing, Lauren. All right, this is gonna be fun. (laughs) Starts off on a high note. 2001, I was going through a difficult divorce. I was pretty down. But I was lucky that I found a church that was very supportive, really great men's group um, that I went to every week. And it really helped me through it. And um, it was a process. It wasn't an event. One other nice thing about this group is a guy who led it is an avid backpacker. backpacker. And every year he did this trip where they went to uh, Tuolumne Meadows and then climbed up to uh, 10,300 feet to Vogelsang Camp, spent the night down to May Lake, down to Little Yosemite Valley, climbed Half Dome, and then came back down to Little Yosemite Valley and then down into Yosemite Valley at the end. So this trip was all good to go all set up September 2001 and um, there were some new people in this group that I didn't know which was fine and uh, we were having a real good time we uh, took off uh, climbed up to 10,000 feet we all had big headaches and uh, (laughs) and we were nauseous from the elevation gain and everything but it was beautiful weather we made it down to May Lake we had a great time at the campfires singing songs and catching fish and it was really great and then the next day we went down to um, Little Yosemite Valley and then the trick is, it was a short hike, we go down there, we set up camp then we take off and we climb Half Dome and um, that was kind of anxious for me because I, I I don't really like exposure in high places, I never have and I've never climbed Half Dome before that and. Um, And I had opportunities, and I always just kind of turned it down. So we took off. It was kind of an act of faith for me to go there. And um, we took off. We climbed up. And uh, if you've ever done it, it's a pretty good hike up to the base of Half Dome. And when we got up there, one of the guys who I didn't know very well stopped at where the rock started to climb real steep. They call it the quarter dome, which nobody knows about, but that's as scary as going up the, the cables. And he says, I can't do this. I go, I can't either, but I'm going to. Um, everybody else is doing it. He says, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. You know, I said, okay, Tom, you just, uh, you going back to camp, Are you gonna wait here, whatever. He says, no, I'm, I'm gonna go back to camp, and, which was fine. So I take off and you go up Quarter Dome and it's these crazy steps and ridges you go up and slippery gravel and everything. And then you get to the cables. And I'm like, no, I don't like this. And I'm like, there's all the guys that I'm with and they're all doing this and they've all done it before. And I can do it if they can do it. So I got a pair of mismatched gloves out of the box at the bottom of the cables, started up. And, and you, first you, you have a death grip on the cables and you're like pulling yourself up with the cables and your arms are wearing out. And finally somebody says, use your legs. Just use your legs, dummy. Just walk, you know. And the cables, you just hold onto that for balance. That's all you need. Made it up to the top. When we got up there, somebody in our group pulled out a set of bagpipes. The sun was going down, 360-degree panorama at the top. He starts playing Amazing Grace. It was amazing. (laughs) And uh, one of the guys was from Australia, actually, who was in our group. And uh, he provided a lot of comic relief because he knew Monty Python forwards and backwards. And he and I had this great interaction. So anyway, we came down uh, in the dark. Flashlights and headlamps and stuff. Made it back to camp. Um, met Tom at the bottom. He was fine. Next morning, we get up. We walk down into down toward Yosemite Valley, and people coming up. Can you guess what they're telling us? Airplanes have crashed into Twin Towers in New York. No, come on, that's ridiculous. That's a crazy story. That couldn't be happening more and more people get that to tell us this and then it's like I guess it's true so we get down to Yosemite we just want to get back to our families now we're in this big van and this church was like this charismatic church and they were like all into end time prophecies and stuff like that so they're all like you know there's wars and rumors of wars Speed it up okay sorry It was so, but what I learned from this is, you know, in community, you can do a lot of things if you have the support. So, and I think we all learned that as a country, right after that, if you remember how pulled together we were. Next September, we do this trip again. Tom's there. He says, I'm gonna do this. It's my 50th birthday. I'm a Boy Scout leader. I need to show the kids that I can do this. So we were all with him the whole way. We got him up to quarter dome where he turned around before he's like white and sweating. We go, Tom, we all did this. We're gonna do this together. We had like five people in front of him, five people in back of him. Nobody pushed him, nobody did anything. We did it together. We climbed to the top. The guy pulled his his bagpipes out again, (laughs) played Amazing Grace. One guy pulled out his cell phone and called the guy in Australia. And uh, he was in Australia now from on top of the Half Dome. So it was a great experience and uh, I'll never forget it. And I think that the point and the lesson of this thing was is that you know, by ourselves, our fear and our trepidations can get the better of us. That if we develop a community, we take part in it. We look out for the people in our community there's so much more that we can do, and the life is so much better and bigger. Thank you.
0: Amen to that. Thanks, Lauren. All right, next up, welcome to the stage, Angie Barker Jackson. Come on up, Angie. Quick show of hands, who's climbed Half Dome? Does anyone, who's, who else has climbed Half Dome? Only one other person, wow, okay. Cool, no, no, come on up.
2: Sure, sure. Where, where do you want it? Where,
0: wherever you want Do you want it in front of the mic? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That'll also keep me on time. You got it. <laughs> Does
0: that work for you?
2: That works. Okay. I have a security blanket to keep me on time and also to keep me from just melting into a puddle up here. A lot can happen in 365 days. Today is my 365th day in the state of California. I moved here on January 1st of this year. I came for a big new adventure. I got a new job at Berkeley School of Theology, and I was so excited. Um, I was coming from another seminary where I was a senior director level person, and I came here to be a vice president. And I was over the moon. It was my dream job. I arrived on January 1st starry-eyed, excited, and had no doubts about this unknown thing before me. No doubts about my job. Um, It really was a dream. Now something like that um, comes with sacrifices. Um, It required me leaving nearly everything behind. I left behind a well-established life in Kansas. I left family there in Kansas and Texas and Indiana. There was no one waiting here for me to arrive. Friends, family, church, and home were all left behind. But I had an unwavering faith in this new beginning. I made the move with the one, steady, safe, familiar thing. A husband of 27 and a half years. We refer to this as our last big move. We would finish our careers living in the East Bay and then maybe, just maybe, we could retire someday in a tiny little bungalow with a vineyard view in wine country it was our dream future now this move was hard like all moves are if you've ever moved before you know packing up a life selling a home driving across the country unpacking a life organizing a life plus it turns out that learning new jobs making new friends and acclimating to unfamiliar surroundings is just harder when you're in your 50s or 60s. And these things were not so dreamy. In spite of all that, though, I thought everything was going pretty well until I learned that it wasn't. Late spring, um, just a few months after we arrived, my husband told me that he needed to talk to me about something. And I was expecting to learn that he had relapsed, once again, into the addictive world of internet pornography. And it was true. He had. And he was an active addiction and had been acting out in secret for months. But that wasn't all. There were more secrets revealed in subsequent days. This person, who I'd loved for 28 years, had been trying his darndest to create the life that we lived, to sustain the image of a happy family and successful marriage. But he could no longer deny who he was and is, a gay man. So my dreams were dashed and my heart was broken in the course of just a few short weeks. The memories of our 28 years together were now very confusing and the future completely unknown and unimaginable. I was crushed and far away from my family and my friends. I spent the summer untethered. Many of you probably sat with me during church over the summer and wondered, why does that woman cry every Sunday? (laughs) But that's all I could do. Thankfully, I'm really stubborn, (laughs) and I refuse to drown in all of that sadness and that grief. And also, thankfully, lifesavers came to me in the form of new friends. And some of you are sitting in this room. I found deeper relationships with my adult children also in this season. I moved into my own place at a marina near the bay so that I had ready access to the steady rhythm of the water and miles of walking trails where every day I put one foot in front of the other and cried away my pain. The hardest of those early days are past and I'm happy to report that I survived my first holiday season. (laughs) You see, a lot can happen in 365 days. The bay has become my home. You have become my community. I have some amazing new friends, and as it turns out, my adult children are fairly decent and compassionate human beings. I love the job that brought me here in the first place. And tomorrow, I will wake to another new beginning. I don't know what the next 365 days hold, but I will keep dreaming.
3: Thank
0: you so much, Angie. I just love the word community where we can share with each other like that. I think that's so beautiful. Uh, next up, Aaron Innistrom. Come on down, Aaron. Told you we'd get to you. So
4: I told you we'd get to you. Erin Alstrom. That's okay. Um, The fact that I am standing here in front of a microphone is a pretty big (laughs) step for me. Um, So I wanted to share something. uh, When I saw that they were going to be doing this today, God put something on my heart that I felt like I wanted to share, although this is not easy for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, So I have a son who is an addict. He's a fentanyl addict and for the past three years have been extremely challenging in and out of rehab and detox and clean for a while and then using again and overdoses and it's been um, the most challenging thing I've ever been through in my life and um, he was doing really well. He had almost seven, eight months clean, and a couple months ago, he relapsed again, and um, I didn't know what to do. Again, I had moved somebody. I have a roommate now that's living in what was his room, and I've, he was living in a sober living, and so I didn't have a place for him to come home to anymore, and um, I mean, he was homeless a little bit. And another piece to this is my son, who's 24. He's also paraplegic. He's in a wheelchair and has special needs. So, you know, I have a handful of people saying, you know, he's got to hit the bottom. He's got to. He's got to be tough love, and that just didn't sit well in my heart as a mother. And um, I had a few people. Who encouraged me just love him harder just love him and support him and encourage him and um, I work in uh, where I work there was a, a man that was there and he was this Jewish guy and he came in I swear he was he is an angel he came in and just spoke to my heart and my spirit and he said just invite more love in. just have more faith, just more grace, more love, more faith. And something shifted in my my spirit and my heart, but also in my psyche, like something switched. And where I saw this horrific challenge, um, I was able to look at it as, An opportunity to invite in more love and more grace and more faith and I just went head-on with overflowing love and grace and faith and even found myself giving giving thanks for this opportunity to deepen my faith and my my love and trust and um, I mean there was like obstacle after obstacle after obstacle he was denied services places because he was in a wheelchair and I was furious but this fire was lit in me and I'm I feel a a calling to do something about that you know Um, but really what I want to share is How Something has shifted in me and how I see what appears to be hopeless and uh, Defeating and fearful is It's it's like the greater the challenge the greater the opportunity to call in deeper love and deeper grace and deeper faith and trust and uh, And my son is in um, in a sober living in, in town, Johnny A, who is a, a saint, has rescued my son again, and he's got a little over thirty days clean, and he's doing really well.
0: Thanks so much, Aaron. All right, next up, we have Kim. Come on down, Kim.
3: Thank you. Ooh, my heart is so full from these stories. I almost can't remember mine at all. (laughs) Um, When I was a little girl, I grew up in Los Angeles. My mother was a housekeeper at one of the big hotels. There was the Bonaventure, which she worked at as a housekeeper. And then she moved to the Hyatt Regency where she was a housekeeper and um, then a managing housekeeper, et cetera, et cetera. And um, she used to take me downtown LA with her. um, And we used to love, I used to love going with her to eat at Woolworths, if you remember that place. Um, I love the cheeseburgers at Woolworths. They were my favorite thing, and it was always a special treat when she would take us, my younger brother and I, there. And one day, I was with her, and my younger brother wasn't there, I'm not sure why, but um, I was with her downtown, walking in the middle of the day. And um, there, as is the case today, um, is a. A very large unhoused population and um, we would I would see them all the time and I was used to seeing unhoused people particularly downtown Los Angeles but this particular day um, and I was just a happy little you know child walking with my being with the most favorite person in my world which was my mother and just just happy as a lark as they say but there was um, an unhoused man, an African American man. And he had defecated on himself. And he was walking and um, the stench was, I can, I can smell it right now as I'm talking to you. It was very pronounced, it was very strong. And that actually I had not seen before or, or smelled, experienced before. I experienced many, seeing many unhoused people, but not that. That was the first time that had happened. Um, and so immediately when I smelled it, I, by the way, this is Pastor, one of Pastor P's favorite stories. <laughs> he knows this story quite well. Um, when I smelled it, I immediately recoiled, um, because I was a little girl. And I just, it just was shocking to me that he was walking like nothing. And my mom, Mary Lee, appropriately named Mary, um, whipped around. She whipped around so fast. I could not imagine how fast it was that she whipped around. She looked down at me, and she said, don't you dare. And I, I was like, and she was serious. She was, don't you dare. And then she said, that could be Jesus. And I was a little girl, but I, was, I got it. I said, my mind was like, oh my god, it could be. <laughs> My thought was, oh my God, that could be. Even though I didn't really understand fully what she was saying, I understood that what she was saying first and foremost was, how dare you judge this person? What are you doing? (laughs) And I understood that very clearly. And the second thing I came to understand as I got older and the thing that has formed me as a person and the reason I love this church community so much is that Jesus is everywhere and Jesus is all of us. And there but the grace of God go I. You know, you cannot judge people. Um, You just can't because you don't know. What I realized is I don't know who this person is. I don't know his story. I don't know why he's defecated. She was trying to say, you know nothing about this person. Exercise love. Exercise compassion. Empathy. Understanding compassion for what you don't know. And it was something that I'll never, ever, ever forget that lesson. I think about it often. And I think about how my mom raised me to be a compassionate person. If you don't want that to be done to you, don't do it to anybody else. So that's my story. And I love you all. And thank you for letting me be part of this community.
0: Thanks so much, Kim. Shout out to Mary Lee. What? All right. Yeah. We love you, Mary Lee. All right. Um, next up, uh, extra loud for my wife, Ann Wagoner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
5: Good morning. So, um, I don't actually usually love new beginnings because to me they always feel really scary. And um, it's like that scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you all know it, um, <laughs> when, when there's a, an invisible bridge and he has to walk across, and I, I hate that scene because I'm always like, Whoa, how do you do that? How do you even like set foot on that thing that you don't know is gonna be there? And I feel like there have been so many times like that in my life where something that I planned on was kind of stripped away and I had a new chance to start fresh. And amazingly, it's always ended up pretty good. (laughs) But it didn't feel good in the moment. And that's the thing that I look back on. So this one starts with a breakup. In college, I fell hard in love with this guy between my junior and senior year. And, um, and we are planning a future together. And so senior year of college, when everyone else is like finding their jobs and finding their careers and planning out their lives, I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I know it's going to be with that guy. And I was a music major, so um, I had lots of lucrative career options in front of me, obviously. Um, <laughs> But I really had no idea what I was going to do. I had no idea what the next step was going to be, but I knew it was going to be with this guy. And about six months after my graduation, he broke up with me. And it was one of those moments where like, it was like a plant that had been planted in my garden, and it was torn up. And I hadn't realized that the roots of that plant had like entangled themselves with every other root of every other plant in my garden and suddenly my whole garden was a mess and I was like, I have to replant everything. And it was such a fresh start that it was horrific. (laughs) But it gave me freedom, looking back, I can see it gave me freedom to do some really exciting things in life. And I went and I worked on a dude ranch, I went with the expectation of being there for three months and I stayed for three years, and during my time there I grew deeper in love with God. And I learned to see God and everything around me. Um, and that led me to um, become a teacher in Asia. I went and moved to Vietnam. And I even remember when I, was get, when I was presented with that opportunity being like, I am not going to Vietnam. I do not want to go to Vietnam. And then I thought in the back of my head, I'm totally going to Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> And I did, and I, went, and I was there for three and a half years. And I learned so much about, um, even more about the God that I loved. And I had this chance to see God without the drape of the American flag on God. And that was very powerful for me. And I came back to the US um, to work as a recruiter for the organization that had sent me to Vietnam. And, um, and I, had a plan in place. I was going to be a recruiter and I was going to make okay money and uh, travel around and and do great things. And that was in 2008. And there was an economic downturn. And that organization lost their largest donors and laid off 30% of their staff. And I was in that 30%. And at that moment, I was like, what the heck, God? (laughs) Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And all through this, it just felt like every fresh start was like a starting at zero. And, um, and it was good, but it was hard. And I remember taking advantage of that time of being unemployed to go and visit my entire family. I had a little bit of money saved up. I had a car that worked. So I drove around the country and I spent time with cousins. And I was like, when else am I going to be able to do this? And I visited a cousin of mine in this evangelical church in uh, South Carolina. And the the sermon that day was about forgiveness. And we were invited to write someone's name on a card and um, to forgive them and to take it up and put it on the cross and leave it there. And for some reason, this guy who had broken up with me in college came to mind. It had been almost 10 years since that breakup. And I was like, mad that his name even came to mind. But I realized I had some junk. I had some stuff I was hanging on to, and I needed to forgive and move on with life. And so I did. I wrote his name on that card, and I left it there, and I was like, done. Um, And I have to speed it up. I'll speed it up. Um, But, uh, Two weeks later, I was visiting my brother and sister-in-law, and that guy messaged me on Facebook, that ex. And when he had messaged me before, a few years ago, I had been like, our breakup was the best thing that ever happened to me, and I never want to hear from you again. Um, and this time, his little face was there on Facebook, and I remember thinking, like, oh, he's still really cute. And at the same time I was thinking that, my sister-in-law is looking over my shoulder and she goes, he has not aged well. (laughs) And she's like, you're not gonna actually reach out to this guy. And I was like, "Mm, maybe, maybe, definitely. Yes, I am, I am going to. And I did, and it was a fresh start. His name was Gordon. (laughs) And. And I'll tell you what, if he had reached out three weeks earlier, before I had forgiven him and forgiven myself for that relationship, it would have been a different story. But I felt like God had prepared my heart to be open to this person again. And this year, we've had some things happen. Um, I know I need to speed it up. Um, (laughs) We've always wanted to have kids. And this year, I had a hysterectomy. And it's like the final punctuation mark, knowing we won't have biological children. the final period, if you will. Um, (laughs) And um, but I have to say, I'm excited to see what that's going to bring, because fresh start has always been hard, but it's always been good.
0: Thanks, hon. Um, next up, we have uh, Brenda Cumberledge. Come on down, Brenda. Oh, got the Niners gear on today. I'm a Commanders fan, so. <laughs> All are
6: welcome, Brenda. All are welcome. my story's a little bit different. It's not quite as personal as what we've been hearing, but it's kind of personal to me. Um, I think about the year that'll come ahead, the year we've had, the months, the weeks, and the days, and I think about our Sundays together here at Crosswalk, and I think how important it is to my life. But there are so many other things we do on Sunday. Sunday's the day of rest and peace and of church, and of sports. But it's also a day of news for some people. I watch the um, Face the Nation, and then tonight I'll be watching 60 Minutes. And it's pretty much all the news I watch all week, because I live at the Meadows, and if I watch too much news, I get kind of depressed. So this is my poem about Sunday news. Another Sunday morning comes around without fanfare. It reminds me of the world's travail, and it makes me aware of how blessed I am, and yet so insignificant in this world. It's Sunday when I turn on the TV and I watch the world's news. One could say I keep reality in check until this one day a week. So much suffering, wars, genocide. Too many dead everywhere. I can't watch these atrocities and live my life without care. By confining all my worldly news to this one day a week, I try to find some balance in my life so that I can sleep. Can justice, peace, and love survive the chaos that surrounds us? Will God step in and find a brave new world to save us? It is just a habit, or is it a habit, that on Sunday I attend church. Somehow we feel that as a congregation we are being heard. Silence is deafening. There must be power in the spoken word. Sometimes a concerned friend or family member joins me, and that's as good as it can be. And together we share the sacred mystery. I thank God for the benefits of good health and a life that I can enjoy while others struggle for safety, to find nourishment, and to stay alive. I close my eyes, I take deep breaths, and I meditate so that I can breathe is this my ordinary life without purpose, or is this the life that I was meant to lead? Faith carries me forward into another week with no world news. I'll save my world prayers to join with others and pray on Sunday. Daily, I give thanks and pray for the blessings that have come my way.
0: It's beautiful, thanks, Brenda. Um, so actually, Anne and I didn't talk about sharing, so I'm going to share, uh, but it's kind of related to her story, which is funny. Um, so as you all now know, uh, <laughs> I, I reached out to Anne uh, after we had uh, like nine and a half years after we had broken up. And I went to go see her in Seattle. When I reached out to her, she was uh, unemployed and living with her sister, and I was like, yes. Um, that means I've got a shot. And so, um, and she she asked, she told me she wasn't ready to maybe go into a relationship with me, and she wanted to just be friends, and I said, yeah, you know, that's okay, but um, I know how I feel about you, I know how I felt about you this entire time that we've been apart, and you know, friends isn't, it's not why I'm here so if you just want to be friends that's fine but um, that, that's not what I came for and thankfully she said yes but one of the qualifying things was it for it was that she was gonna go ahead and date online and I was like go ahead go for it I'm not going to but you enjoy the cesspool that is online dating <laughs> and so I had gotten back from my first visit with her I flew up to Seattle um, where she was staying and and we had a lovely kind of short weekend together she was um, She was performing in a play at the time. So I watched the dress rehearsal for the play, and it was clear that everything that we had had before was still there. So on my drive back from SFO, um, I had to wrestle with something. And the something was that Anne's faith is, if anyone who knows her, Anne's faith is a huge, huge, huge part of her life. And at that time in my life, I was a severe agnostic. In fact, so much so that even now it's hard for me to refer to myself as a Christian. I call myself a recovering agnostic. Um, and so I had to, come to, I had to come to grips with this in my drive back from SFO. And I ended up having what I would call, I guess, a conversation with God. And I, I realized a couple things in the conversation. The first was this archetype of prayer that I had kind of been brought up with, because I was brought up with in the church, the idea that um, that prayer is kind of ritualistic, and it happens kneeled at the foot of your bed when you're saying your prayers at the end of the day. That's not the only form of prayer that exists in life. And it what it allowed me to do was pray while I was driving, which sounds unsafe. Um, but actually while driving and while I'm in the shower are probably the two times that I'm closest with God. The second thing that came out of that conversation was how was I gonna move forward in this relationship with this woman and in this relationship with God? And the response that I got back was a little weird. Um, And it was that I've led a very charmed, privileged life. And every time I have been giving a blessing in my life, I've never stopped to question it. Like, why did this happen? Where did it come from? I kind of was able to just take the ball and run with it. And that's what God told me to do in relationship with God. Was Don't question it. Just take the ball and run with it. And that's what I've been trying to do ever since. So last but not least, um, Candice put a note on here, pick me last. So (laughs) Candice, you're up.
7: these beautiful crosswalkers. I just have to say that. Um, what I was going to say um, has kind of changed just listening to these stories. Kim, I'd love to meet your mom. <laughs> I really would. Um, something happened to me last spring um, and I started, I've been, okay, I'll, I'll, You know, this is what happens when you wing it. Um, backtrack a little bit the Sunday after Thanksgiving in 2021 I started coming back here and started making a more commitment of going like first it was I'm gonna go every Sunday for a month and then 90 days and you know met with Pete just just started the ball rolling became a member that following summer so um last spring on Monday Thursday um, something happened to me that I swore would never happen to me was that Pete baptized me Um, and to to become a full-fledged member of a wonderful community Christian community God God God-loving community um, I have to go way back Um, and a lot of people know my story some to a point but um, I was raised in a cult I was born in a cult and um, it wasn't the, the Kool-Aid drinking Davidian type of cult where you try to leave, you're you know, going to be uh, found, you know, back, you know, dumped in a ditch somewhere. It, it was just a um, very small, um, you know, home-based type of thing that was very fear-based, very shame-based. Um, and um, that was my life. Um, we had a family that was living down the street from us that were Catholics. and and boy, I thought they were great. I mean, look, they're wearing slacks, they, you know, they can, you know, they they celebrate, you know, all kinds of things, they go out and they do things on Sunday, I mean, they go to the movies, I mean, that was just, to me, was just the life. So I, um, I rebelled against it, um, from the time I could remember, and, um, and I was kind of put down for that too, but, Um, My mom was very loving, but when I was 15, she just said, you know, if you're not not going to, you know, you don't have to. I'm not going to make you. Um, And then she prayed for my soul ever since. But um, uh, I I really went far off into left field because I I had other abuses. I was growing up, um, and so I was facing abuse in my own home um, from my father, actually. So uh, my, my teens and 20s were just kind of out there in left field with a lot of drinking, a lot of parties, a lot of, lot of everything. Um, I was a bartender at one time, and you know, if you'd asked me in high school, what do you want to be when you grow up? To me, it was something cool, like a photographer in Africa for National Geographic, but I ended up being a bartender at Silverado Country Club. Um, <laughs> I did get clean in um, 1989, um, and, um, tried to find something um, higher than myself at that time. It was not church, it was just something, because um, I couldn't really believe in God, because that would have made me feel shameful to believe and then you know kind of live in a different life. Um, amazing thing happened to me is, at, th- at that point, um, I came out. I'm gay. And um, to the fact that I go to a church, and I can say that, um, You know, there's no, I don't care, you know? It's like, here I am, (laughs) take me as I am. But um, when I was a uh, bartender and somebody said, hey, you're getting in your thirties, you're gonna be a massage therapist. I'd be like, yeah, right. You know, they can massage me, but I got clean. I quit the the business. I became a massage therapist for 25 years. Um, You know, just wore myself out doing it, but loved it. It was a clean lifestyle. It was a holistic lifestyle. Um, and so, and then if somebody would have said, you know, in year 15 of being a massage therapist, oh, you're going to own your own business someday, i had been like, yeah, right. Well, I have a love of animals, everybody, uh, most people know that, you know, kind of like dogs love dogs, people not so much, but except you guys. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I'm in my 10th year now of um, owning my own pet sitting dog walking service, which I love, um, and I'm in control of my own destiny. Um, so. It's just, you know, somebody asks you what you want to do. Or are you going to be this or something? you And you kind of scoff and go, I'm not going to do that. So I'm learning. And as far as new beginnings is saying yes to things, um, cultivating the courage, which Crosswalk has given me, cultivating maybe this year um, open mic night at the Elks Club. Um, maybe, um, you know, who knows? I'm not going to even say I want to or I'm going to. I'm just going to do it. And um, you'll find out if I'm doing it or not. So Happy New Year. I love y'all.
0: There you go, Candace. Just in case, is there anybody who didn't throw their name in the hat who now has the tickle to share? No one? Bueller? All right. Give everyone a round of applause. Thanks again, everyone, for sharing. Again, I, uh, I love being a, a part of such a wonderful community where we can be this kind of open and loving and generous with each other. I think it's, uh, it's just such a blessing, uh, hopefully, in all of our lives. Um, you're setting up like you're... Are you singing another song? Yeah. Oh, great. Perfect. <laughs>